Toronto free kick. Michael Bradley and Soteldo. Soteldo sends it in back post. They score. Omar Gonzalez. Welcome into the Club and Country podcast. We are the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I am Nashville SC radio analyst Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the editor and proprietor of clubcountryusa.com. We always like to start these podcast episodes off with a highlight rather than a low light because it gives energy to the show. And unfortunately for Nashville SC supporters, for the third time this year, lots of negative energy following a loss. Nashville's third of the season. This one on the road to bottom of the table, Toronto. Before we get into it all, let's thank Moon Taxi for providing the jams at the beginning and end of the show. Thanks to ESPN 94.9 for John Freeman's highlight of Omar Gonzalez's game winner. We'll play a happy one for you guys here in just a little bit, mm-hmm. heading into the early shout. But Tim, Nashville SC's longest win streak is over after losing 2-1 to Toronto FC. They go behind early. They equalize, but they just can't finish the job. Yeah, it was, it was not a pretty match, but uh, for five glorious minutes, it looked like CJ Sapong would at least steal that point on the road. And that might have even still ended up being a little bit disappointing a result for Nashville SC. And even with Walker Zimmerman back in the lineup, it was a set piece tally that was NSC's undoing. And it's unfortunately become all too familiar the refrain this year. And even a come from behind draw would have likely been disappointing for mm-hmm. most who wear gold, uh, considering Toronto's place in the table, but a loss borderline diabolical for some if you guys know us well and that we hope you do by now we are voices of reason and we'll probably moderate uh the opinions out there of the loss while still um being honest about about what transpired on saturday and looking ahead to two more road matches enter miami on wednesday chicago fire on sunday in the early shout we'll talk about maybe the biggest discussion point coming out of the contest which is another set piece goal conceded by the boys in gold what's happening on set pieces now and how can nashville se fix it if indeed we agree that it has become a, a problem for the boys in gold we will embrace consensus after that was this the worst loss of nsc's season in the mailbag, what can we expect now from the back half of Nashville's road trip as the stakes may have changed just a little bit after the loss against bottom of the table Toronto? Uh, how to shore up that set piece defense? Let's get tactical for just a little bit. And then can this year still be historic for the boys in gold? There's at least one metric that the boys in gold are still in play to potentially reach. Can they do it? We'll tell you what that stat is and whether we think the boys in gold can get that done. We'll head outside in and catch up with Nashville SC's loanies. All right, without further discussion, let's get into our early shout. Nashville able to turn with Hani Mukhtar. Slipping down the right side, it's Leal. He's in onside, squares it in front. Sapong scores! Nashville equalizes! A guaranteed response! CJ Sapong's 10th goal of the season in his 300th Major League Soccer regular season appearance. Now his third highest scoring season of his career as he hits double digits for the third time in his lengthy tenure in Major League Soccer. It equalized in the 74th minute after Jacob Schaffelberg opened the scoring in the 18th, but it was Omar Gonzalez, Tim, five minutes later on a free kick. Jefferson Soteldo just put it on a dime exactly where the former U.S. men's national team player needed it to be to score the winner for Toronto. Yeah, and it kind of bounced off like his shin more than his foot a little bit, but when you get the ball in that close of a, of a proximity to the net, um, the, the keeper's pretty much always already going to be beaten there, and that was the case with Joe Willis, and, and Gonzalez managed to get just enough of the ball to put it into the back. One statistical nugget I found interesting was that against Toronto, Nashville had the highest possession of any road match this season. Now, part of that, of course, is because they were chasing the game. 
But even early in the contest, you saw Nashville playing a little more assertively. It looked to mm-hmm. me, Tim, like they were they're going to play a high defensive line. They're going to try to look forward rather than defending and countering like they often do on the road. And, and it just got the feeling, especially on that first Toronto goal, that that proactive approach, while admirable and, and exciting, came back to bite them. Yeah, they were caught with uh, a high line that didn't have quite the, quite the discipline to all be on the same high line. And that ultimately led to Alistair Johnson keeping Schaffelberg onside as he got just an absolutely beautiful ball from Oro Jr., the right back, and managed to round Joe Willis before putting it in the back of the net. And we've heard Nashville SC be criticized a little too much for not getting enough of the three-point versus one-point result. And uh, they went out and went for it on this night and ultimately came back to bite them with a zero-point result. Yeah, we got a response from somebody. I got one on Twitter after the match that said, this guarantees that Gary Smith will never play for the win on the road ever again. <laughs> yes, it seems pretty fair based on based on his history of of uh, nicking three points on the road when maybe you could argue playing for a draw, but uh, going for all three from the get go because he felt that Nashville was so much better than this Toronto team, and and I think fairly so. Uh, ultimately, it didn't work out for him. It is Nashville's third loss of the season. All three have come on the road, and all three have come to teams that were at the time below the playoff line. It's just another great example, Tim, of the reality that every manager in this league knows or learns quickly, you cannot take a single road match in this crazy league for granted. Yeah, and it also kind of points to another thing, which is that every team is going to have some clunkers. Obviously, you would very much prefer to not have, have clunkers against really bad teams. But, um, you know, we've seen New England go out and, and draw and lose games that they probably shouldn't draw or lose as well. And more often than not, those bad results are going to come on the road. It doesn't necessarily take a whole lot of the sting out of this one. But knowing that despite the result, Nashville still sits in second in the league, it's probably going to mean maybe some some bittersweet feelings because fans are thinking the what if. But certainly it, you feel a lot better looking at the table and saying, okay well it didn't knock us out of the playoffs it didn't um you know make gary smith throw something in the locker room because he's so mad because it's it's going to keep his team out of the postseason or anything like that and in this space as recently as last week we warned that on this road trip there would likely be a stinker at some point Mm -hmm. neither of us expected it to be this match but we did expect it to happen at some point gary smith alluded to his disappointment in conceding the club's eighth set piece goal this year it's eighth most in major league soccer set piece goals now account for 35 percent of the goals that nashville sc has allowed this year that is now the highest percentage in major league soccer and here's what it means nashville's now dropped 11 points thanks to set piece goals it has conceded so right or wrong it's something for which this club is being known i think and uh, I just, I'm wondering if that should be a major part of the discussion when people talk about this club or whether we're falling victim to recency bias because four of those concessions have happened in the last nine matches and the disproportionate percentage of set-piece goals scored by what is otherwise one of the best defenses in Major League Soccer. Yeah, I mean, I think the concept of this unit is borderline historically good, except for one aspect that that really only becomes relevant when the best set-piece player in the league is, is out of the lineup. Yes, that is something that is a storyline, but at the same time, it is such a it, it requires such a specific set of circumstances to really bite Nashville frequently. Now, you obviously can't guarantee that Walker Zimmerman is going to be healthy for the rest of the year. And as we saw Saturday night, his presence in the lineup does not guarantee Nashville uh, managing to keep a clean sheet on set pieces. But when he plays, things are a lot better. So uh, it is definitely something that you want to keep in mind. Is it is it 
the worst thing that could be a characteristic of this team. I think we, we saw we saw last year that maybe not scoring enough goals is, is something that can also happen. And that team was not second in the Eastern Conference. So I think this is a, a much better chink in the armor to have. When one of the best defenses in Major League Soccer is struggling, relatively speaking, on set pieces, mm-hmm. it raises a philosophical question for me. Is set piece defense defense? Or is it more like American football, where you have mm-hmm. defense and you have special teams, where you know it's it's more about specific tactics in those moments. It's more about approach. It's more it's more about luck because you have fewer set pieces than you have moments in the run of play. I mean, do we classify set piece defense as defense, or is it just something different entirely? I don't think it's something different entirely, but I think you can break up defensive uh, performance into multiple buckets. And that's certainly a completely separate bucket from run of play defense, even if they both kind of fall under the same umbrella category. Um, I think when people look at phases of the game, they break it down into settled offense, settled defense, transition, and set pieces as their own thing. So that's an even more extreme way to look at it. And and I think you can say it's completely separate, but at the same time, a lot of the different skill sets that you look at in terms of being important for run of play defense are still important on set piece. Um, I think goalkeeping is is hardly any different between the two phases of the game. But, um, you know, if you're Walker Zimmerman, you're heading away a clearance from a cross or you're heading away a clearance from a set piece cross. It's not the the actual physical things that you do in performance of that are not so different. Um, but certainly the, the schematic approach that you have to take to it, because, you know, one ball is coming here at this exact moment. It's a, it's a different animal to tackle for sure. You would agree with the premise, right? That, that great mm-hmm. defenses tend to limit the damage from restarts of the 10 teams with as many or more set piece goals allowed. Only two of them, Portland and Atlanta are above the playoff line. Atlanta barely above that playoff line right now. There's clear correlation between teams being ironclad on set pieces and their ability to get results. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for whether you give up a goal through the run of play or whether you give it up through a set piece, it still counts as a goal against. It still counts as a way that you lose a game. Nashville SC felt that the hard way on Saturday evening. So very few of the teams that are ahead of Nashville in terms of uh, the number of goals allowed on set pieces are also very good at defense like Nashville is through the run of play. So nobody's really having the same sort of pairing that NSC is. So the cracks tend to show up through their defensive effort in ways that don't hurt NSC quite as frequently. Now, of course, you mentioned 11 points dropped from specifically set piece situation. So that's something that is really hurting the team this year. But in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the big picture, uh, something that's really hurting the team, again, is keeping them in second place in the East nonetheless. And, um, you know, if they could have had that improvement, it would be a different story. But yeah, I think it is a little bit of a, of a situation where the way in which Nashville is struggling in this very specific way is not a significant enough piece of struggle to drop them down with the rest of those teams too. We thought the audience might enjoy... Well, enjoys probably as well. <laughs> appreciate. Hey, here, hit yourself in the toe with a hammer. It's going to be so fun. Yeah, pain is great. Better than feeling nothing at all, right? Uh, <laughs> Are you okay, um, Wes? We thought you guys would appreciate a, a deep dive into how those set piece goals have happened. Four of them have come in the last nine matches, and again, there have been eight total concessions. Three of them have come off of corner kicks. We're talking about the DC home match. We're talking about Atlanta at home and that disappointing draw, and Montreal at home. Uh, free kicks then make up the other five. So two against Toronto, the Orlando home match with Antonio Carlos's goal, mm-hmm. Atlanta and New York Red Bulls. Uh, that's what's happening. Tactically, are you seeing a pattern as to you know how teams are able to get past Nashville on set pieces? Or is the sample size small enough that, that people are just 
making good plays. I mean, give yeah. Jefferson Soteldo credit. It was a heck of a delivery yeah. into the box. Yeah, I dropped like an inch over Walker Zimmerman's head, and that yeah. brings me to the first theme that is really important about this. The first pattern is that all but two of those have happened with Walker Zimmerman out of the squad, even though he's played more than half of Nashville's minutes. And you know, we've talked about this. You know, when he was absent for the Gold Cup, even that long ago, the one against Red Bulls was kind of a weird situation that Zimmerman didn't really have a whole lot to do with. It was just kind of a bizarre defensive zone free kick. So that I would kind of throw that that one away. So if opponents were converting at similar rates when he was there to clear it away you're looking at four fewer goals conceded from set pieces it would it would be essentially two and two so you would be looking at a defense that's a lot better and you'd be looking at maybe a different set of results but in terms of what I'm seeing when he's not there especially it's it's been guys getting out jumped and and unfortunately for a couple games in a row there it was Jack Mayer he's improved a lot in terms of those sorts of um, physical battles that he's being asked to win and doing a better job when he's on the pitch but nobody's going to replicate what Walker Zimmerman can do. And even if Zimmerman didn't quite get it done on Saturday evening, I think that's the biggest piece is, is he, he even got out, out jumped in a way because the ball just barely cleared his head uh, on Saturday evening. And it's something that's going to happen occasionally. It's, it's going to happen a whole lot less frequently when he's available. I'm going to pull a page out of the MLS national media playbook. And I'm going to say that there's something people aren't really talking about as much, <laughs> even though I'm the one who's supposed to be talking about it. <laughs> and that is that I think that first goal probably deserves recognition as a much worse concession than, than mm-hmm. the set piece. I think you can point to things on the set piece goal. Anibal Godoy loses track of his man, who it looked like maybe CJ was supposed to be marking in the first place. Mm-hmm. Hard to blame Walker. He gets up and just can't quite get there. But I think there were structural issues with, with yeah. the defense in the first place. But then you look at, at the first concession, a team playing a high line, Nashville looking to be aggressive. And then Alistair, I hope there's not a club and country curse here after we spoke. <laughs> Tremendous interview. Go back. You put him right on the cover and there he goes. That's right. That's what happens. It's the SI miniature version. Uh, he, you know, he gets two steps behind Walker, which allows Schaffelberg to be onside. Don't mm-hmm. think Schaffelberg's going to be onside if they're playing that that in a straight line. Yeah, and and, and Ali, Ali also like jumps forward to try and set that offside trap at just the wrong moment yeah. that prevents him from being able to catch up as well. Oh, there was no chance, and Walker yeah. tried. Yeah, but there was just no, there was no catching him at that point. I think yeah. it's a much worse concession. Yeah, and because it's sloppy, it's just you know, it, it's something. I mean. You're going to concede. You're going to have some stinky yeah. concessions, and Nashville's had uh, fewer than its fair share. But that was a disappointing moment. Yeah, and I think it, the last point that you made there is important. It, Nashville has had fewer than its fair share. I think you can look at this goal as more of an anomaly, and that's why people are probably less upset about it because it's, oh, that's something that happens. Whereas the set-piece goals feels like a consistent trend. And, you know, for the reasons that I just mentioned, I don't think it's as big of a deal. It is still a big deal, but I don't think it's as big of a deal. But the first one is just something that you don't see a Gary Smith team do, and you certainly haven't seen Nashville SC do a whole lot of in the last couple of years. And now the Poison Gold look to re-enter the win column against Inter-Miami. Wednesday, 6.30 kickoff, and Inter-Miami looked like things were going great. They were playing awesome, unbeaten in six, and they lose 4-0 to New York Red Bulls at home. They get outshot, Tim, 27-2 by New York Red Bulls. What is Miami? Do you know? Do they know? I think they are a team that generated seven one hundredths of an expected goal <laughs> against against yeah. Red Bulls. That is simply incredible. It's almost 
you basically have to not shoot. <laughs> I, I, I haven't looked to see where those two shots came from, but they were not from great positions. If that's all the expected goal total that this team was able to get. I think they've really refocused on being a strong defensive team and they've done a pretty good job of, of meeting that standard under Phil Neville. Their attack is going to be anemic unless they get incredible individual plays, whether that's from Lewis Morgan or whether that's from the Higuains. They just haven't had it in terms of the structure of the team creating the chances that they do end up getting. Um, and then if they aren't creating chances and then they have the sort of night that they had on Friday where the defense just falls apart as well, it's it's going to be a rough time for Inter-Miami. I can report that half of their shots ended up being on target. Man, look at them go. Look at them go. That's an incredible rate. Yeah, one. One. Amazing. Uh, and they didn't manage a single corner kick in that match either, which, again, is just downright impressive, I think. that's That's pretty hard to do in this league. Uh, another thing that's interesting to me, Tim, is that, you know, they've really been pretty good away from home. They have mm-hmm. one of the best mm-hmm. road records in the East, but conversely, they're the third worst home team in the East. Only Toronto and Cincy have fewer home wins. And, and I, I can't help but look at the age and the makeup of this team and maybe the motivation and think that, that they're just not the best crafted roster to play in South Florida's heat and humidity. Does that explain it to you? Or is it just, they're not a very good team wherever they are. And they just happen to get beat at home as a result. Yeah, I think it's probably more the latter than the former, although uh, Gonzalo Higuain saying, I thought I was going to show up and be smoking cigarettes at training certainly doesn't give a ton of faith. Yeah, they're a bad home team because I think a lot of guys who have played in in Italy and France and and in northern European or western European regions are not used to playing in summer heat in South Florida. That's a big part of it. But I think some of it is is also just that they're not a very good team regardless of where they are. And the sample sizes dictate that a team that's mediocre anywhere is going to lose more in one place or the other via random chance. Um, That's part of what made Nashville's loss in Miami last time or in Fort Lauderdale, excuse me. I do not want to get their hometown wrong. That's what made Nashville's loss in Fort Lauderdale. So disappointing last time because Miami had been the worst home team, I believe to that point, even worse than Cincinnati. So I think a measure of revenge, especially on the road in Fort Lauderdale is something that Nashville is really going to be itching for. We'll leave it to Miami to get its own hometown wrong. Uh, (laughs) Miami has taken four of six points against Nashville this year, but if you look at their body of work throughout the year, the underlying metrics tell us they have the most anemic attack in, attack in Major League Soccer. Just one expected goal per match. Not a lot of goals happening in Miami, and you have to think that if Nashville can get on the board against these guys, I mean, they did last time and it didn't work out so well, but, but generally speaking, the boys of gold can like their chances. Yeah, I think if you adjust for for the opponent's strength, as I and do at clubcountryusa.com, check out the power ratings each week. Uh, Houston Dynamo and Columbus crew are comparably bad. It's insane that Columbus is so bad this year after just adding Bradley Wright Phillips at the beginning of the year. Everybody thought, oh, this team is going to be incredible now. Um, but yeah, Miami has has just been brutal in the attack. And it's it's for the reasons that I mentioned. They need Lewis Morgan and they need the Higuain brothers to basically make magic if it's going to happen because Rodolfo Pizarro just has not been the signing of that they thought he was going to be in the structure of the team is not orchestrated to generate chances. They need those moments of individual brilliance to score, and they aren't getting enough of them uh, for various reasons, including maybe some of the ones that we just mentioned. After Miami, it'll be Chicago fire on Sunday. They are losers of three straight. And by the time you were listening, it might be four as they are hosting new England on Wednesday, Chicago team that that is a lot of fun to watch, but just struggles to put it all together. Yeah, they remind me a lot of Toronto FC 
so a slightly different version of Toronto FC, but they're a very skilled team, but having an incredibly tough time translating that into results on a consistent basis. Uh, the difference between Toronto FC and Chicago is that Chicago is actually translating into expected goals and, and um, very few expected goals against them. Their numbers on the margins are a lot stronger than Toronto's this year. I think you can look at Toronto's injury situations and, and things like that and kind of figure out why that might be the case. But we saw Saturday how dangerous a team that is skilled but not performing can be. It, it ended up beating Nashville SC, and the Chicago team is is a more dangerous version of that in 2021. So um, they're above average in XG terms, though they're well below it in terms of how they actually convert and allow opponents to convert. And on any given day, a team that is is capable, um, you know, this isn't FC Cincinnati we're talking about. They can win, they just don't. <laughs> this for one night only, you can really get bitten if you if you don't come to play. Well, the unfortunate thing is that Nashville is not going to score a goal in the match um, because I'm on play-by-play for that game. And uh, the, the two MLS matches that I've moved over from the analyst chair to the play-by-play chair, Nashville has zero goals in those 180 minutes. So uh, just be prepared for disappointment. I, I would love to call a Nashville SC goal one day. Who knows? Maybe the streak is broken and it happens on Sunday. Uh, let's embrace consensus here and or debate. And uh, it's the last time we'll really dwell on this Toronto defeat before before turning our eyes forward. Tim, was this Nashville SC's worst loss of the season? And, and I can start, and I'll say no. If you're looking at the bottom of the table, and you see Toronto there, and you lose to that team and give up multiple goals, then yes, you can make an argument for it. But I think Miami is still worse, because... Really, the meaning of that rivalry. Miami is, in at least one way, a measuring stick to which Nashville will always um, compare itself. Uh, it's it's got bigger aspirations than that. But at least when you look at the expansion twins and and how different they were, it stinks whenever you drop points against Miami. And I think also because of the the lack of utter the other lack of rhythm they showed in that match. Just eight shots against Miami in that loss. Just two on target against a Miami team that at the time had won once at home all year. But I'll stop myself, and I'm going to debate with myself uh, before allowing you that chance to debate with me. I reserve the right to change my mind uh, on that based on how Nashville responds to this loss. Toronto could end up being a worse loss because Nashville doesn't have the the refuge of its home pitch available to them to chase the bitter taste of road defeat as it did against Red Bulls, as it did against Miami when they had consecutive home matches. This time it's consecutive matches away from home. And, Tim, if they allow that Toronto defeat to linger in their psyche – and they drop points against Miami as well, they're risking putting themselves in a really dangerous place. And then you look back at that Toronto result as a very negative turning point. Yeah, I, I think either way that the Toronto game was was worse than that Miami game on the road. And I think it's the worst loss of the season so far. Mm-hmm. I think you can look at some of the draws this year, the, the home draw against FC Cincinnati in the opener and might say that's a worse result, but you asked worse loss. So, so we'll stick with that specific uh, line of thinking. I, we didn't know it at the time, but Miami was really on the front end of an upswing. They're very close to the playoff positions. Now they were, they were one of the bottom two or three teams at the time. And, and that's no longer the case at the very least, even if they're still not world beaters, this Toronto team has had blips of life, but, They've gone back down to the cellar, which is where they've been for a lot of the year themselves. This seems pretty settled as the worst team in MLS by, by some margin. Um, they might not be in terms of overall points, but the East um, has really torn up Toronto and, and made easy work of them at times. And 
I think even worse, when you look at it, several Toronto starters were out of the lineup on Saturday evening. And yes, those absences have been pretty consistent over the course of the year. And they've had a major role in why Toronto is where it is at the bottom of the league. But this one was about as empty a tank as the team has had over the entire season. There were more absences than we've seen in pretty much any of their previous losses and any of their you know negative results that have them standing where they are. And a Nashville SC team seemed to look at that and kind of take it for granted that there was going to be an opportunity to to go out and, and take it to these guys on the road and, and got bitten for that. And I, for that reason, um, I think you look at maybe it having been a, a game plan miscalculation by Gary Smith, which is something that you basically never see from this team. That's the one thing I, I know he's, he's gotten some flack over the years, but a game plan miscalculation is something that you don't see. And when you combine that with individuals not performing up to their potential, it, it really kind of ties the whole room together and makes it a, a real rough performance. And it's really deflating for a team that was, was looking to, in, in, to put itself in the conversation mm-hmm. of, you know, coach of the year, MVP, executive of the year some of those awards for which i think many believe nashville's been overlooked i made that case on this show last week and then i yeah. had to really just shut up um, <laughs> and of course it's a, it could be a blip, right? weeby's not responding to those tweets anymore baby <laughs> <laughs> i was i was waiting actually for the mentions to start lighting up from some folks who have better things to do i guess than come back and say where are you at now bud um, <laughs> But we will wait until Nashville has a big week, and then we'll try to bring Weeby on the show and answer for himself. But uh, <laughs> certainly Nashville didn't answer for itself this weekend, and, and they'll be hoping to, to rebound. Let's take things to the mailbag, where Glenn asks, Are we running out of gas? The guys look tired against TFC. Now, they certainly were a step slow at times, but I don't think you can use that excuse uh, necessarily that the team was running out of gas. The guys that were on international break had come back and had time to rest. The team hadn't played in seven days. Health issues have largely resolved themselves. In fact, talking with Gary Smith before the match, he was listing off guys that he felt were unlucky to not be in the 11 or be in Mm -hmm. the 20 because he has the widest array of options he's had all year. So I think what some saw as gassed may have actually been a lack of urgency. Uh, You know, Gary told us, on the broadcast team before the match gave us liberty to, to, to talk about publicly on the broadcast said these are the kind of weeks when I have to stay on the guys when I have to remind them of, of the importance that that when you're second at the table every match is kind of like a cup final because people are coming for you and it was funny to see a Toronto team sit back and say Nashville what you got show us show us that you have a possession break us down I don't think it was gas. I think it was a step slow in processing time and maybe a little bit in urgency because Nashville's just not used to being in in on the front foot, on the road. Yeah, I think the simple answer to the question is no. You can look at the performance and say it didn't live up to expectations for a variety of reasons and maybe in a variety of ways, but you would really have to ignore the fact that this team had won three straight win- or had won three straight games going into the contest, was unbeaten in five if you want to draw any sort of trend from the team. I, I think looking gassed is, is something that you, you can't look at a one-game sample size and say, this is a problem. Uh, you you look at the previous five games and this team had been on its best form of the year. And I, I just don't see a whole lot. You look at guys like Dax McCarty, who didn't start this game and had, had been rested the previous week due to a red card. You look at a guy like Walker Zimmerman, who had only played, um, you know, nine, the 90 minutes that he played the previous week and were the only 90 minutes that he had had in two weeks. This is a team that had its key players pretty well rested. And it's just a matter of they didn't show up to play. That's not because they're running out of gas at this point in the season. Nashville Nick is playing the role of Olivia Newton-John. He wants to get tactical, tactical. And he asks, what's it going to take to fix our set-piece defending? This has been a consistent problem all year. And we've talked about the stats behind that being a consistent problem. But if you can ignore my singing, 
Um, <laughs> what's 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 your thought? What, to to go from the problem we've painted to the solution, what is it? Yeah, until Saturday, it had largely only been a problem without Walker in the lineup, as we've kind of beaten to death. I've personally kind of beaten to death over the course of this podcast already. We trotted out the numbers throughout his injury, throughout the Gold Cup, throughout World Cup qualifying about what had been going on with him and what was not going on without him, which was preventing set-piece goals. I, I think uh, drawing the line based on an additional sample size of, of one game with him in the lineup and one set-piece goal defended isn't really fair. You know, we're, we're we've positioned ourselves as the sample size matters podcast, I guess. But I think to say that NSC set piece defense is a problem, you kind of have to have a standard of comparison. And, you know, you've talked about, about what um, Nashville has standing in the league. And yes, most of the teams that are worse on set pieces are also pretty down low on the table, but um, it is, when you look at the big picture, barely below average, that's worse than the run of play numbers where Nashville is, is purely elite, but both of those phases of the game count. And so it's something that, you look at and you have to say, I think Zimmerman's absence, and this guy is almost certainly the league's most important set-piece player on both ends of the pitch, is something that hopefully Nashville doesn't have to deal with, and that goes a long way towards resolving the issue, even without changing a single thing tactically. Yeah, sample size matters, uh, but it's also how you use it. And uh, I think, you know, Walker, definitely not not to blame for for that set piece concession in Toronto. So even though he was on the pitch, yeah, it's hard to hard to say he had much culpability. He almost saved Nashville after <laughs> they didn't do things right behind him. Uh Payancito23 asks how many points are acceptable in the last two road games. We've been busy handicapping this road trip after each contest and we both revised our projections upward after the win in Montreal. Now where do things stand? I think four points are acceptable in the last two road games. I don't think you can afford to lose if you have aspirations mm-hmm. of continuing to to host a playoff game. And also you're looking at wanting to avoid an Atlanta United if you can help it. I mean, I think we're in the in the world um I think I think we Lenny United might be gunning for third here. <laughs> that's that's a great point. That is they have they have plenty of opportunity to host, but I think you, if you can avoid that four spot too, there's going to be a mean team in fifth at this point, the way things are, are moving forward. It could even be Orlando dropping back at this point, the way things are going for them. But I think four points are fine in these two road games. It gets Nashville to the 45-point line that is generally considered kind of that that benchmark to be a playoff team. Uh, gives them eight games to play with to get, get further. It constitutes a successful rebound. It would fend off Miami because you're not obviously dropping points then that are you know allowing them to gain on you. And it would give Nashville a seven-point road trip over four matches. And as crappy as that Toronto loss felt and was, every team in Major League Soccer would take 1.75 points per game over their longest road trip of the season. I, I'm probably going to go back against what I said last week. I don't even remember what I said. I, try, I was trying to look it up while you are talking, and uh, we over we overrode our previous rundown, so I don't know what I even said. I but it was two wins. I think yeah, I, th- I think I, yeah, I think you got to win them both. So I guess I'm not going to be uh, inconsistent here. I think you just lost to the worst team in the league in a pretty demoralizing fashion, and now you travel to two of the worst home teams in the league. So it's a high standard, but I think from these three games, you probably would have wanted five, maybe. Um, the only way you can meet or exceed that number at this point is by winning both games um yes i think four is probably fine four is certainly fine in terms of reaching that nashville sc's kind of overarching goals in the course of the year but if you want to feel better about the road trip as it comes to an end you probably want to take wins in both of them and nashville not just playing for a playoff spot but also still in the running to make history no mls team has ever finished with fewer than four losses in a season trevor points out in the last club to 
Get that four-loss record was LAFC back in 2019. He asks, with 10 games to go and playoff positioning and CONCACAF Champions League qualifying uh, on the line, what do you think are the odds that Nashville ties or breaks that fewest losses in a season record? Yeah, I'll just right off the top. I don't think it's going to happen. And however, I don't necessarily think that's a negative either. Um, this team is pretty well set up to avoid losses, even if there are fits and starts where it also means not finding wins. They can play for draws, as we've discussed previously in this podcast as well. The tilt has gone more to offense recently. And once a playoff spot is secured, which should happen reasonably soon, I think Gary Smith has a little bit more leeway to play for either a win or a loss rather than a draw that you maybe nick a winner in. Uh, if and when NSC locks up a top four spot, there's a little bit more flexibility. There's a little bit more flexibility when you get the third spot and so on and so on. It should mean more wins, but potentially more losses en route to them because that's a trade-off that the team simply is going to have the ability to make without getting hurt in the table too much. And I think once any point is a good point is no longer the case that they need to play for, they have a, a pretty good opportunity to either win or lose more games than draw a lot of them. I think that's a tremendous point. And I also think that he would probably like to see his team be tested by being on the front foot on the road mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, something that they that they didn't do well and they want to get some work in. Yeah, with, perhaps. I, mean, I think yeah. they need to find the creativity to break teams down when those teams are sitting back. That's the team Nashville typically is, and so when the shoes on the other foot, I think I'm guessing he would love to see what his team can do in those situations, um, and, and we could see some really exciting back and forth attacking soccer it's i'll say low as well i don't think the odds are good i think i'll put the over under on remaining nashville sc losses at two and a half over the last 10 matches very roughly which would put them at you know either five or six uh, losses this year depending on which way you fall of course you're missing that four loss mark just three home matches left of the 10 uh five of those remaining road matches are against teams in playoff contention um, and two of those matches are against teams that have beaten them this year, going to Miami and then hosting Red Bulls on decision day. So if Nashville does only lose once for the rest of the season, I, I dearly want to see Gary Smith as a finalist in the Coach of the Year contest. There, I got that reference in. I got it in this loss <laughs> because I think moving forward, if Nashville can handle this adversity and only lose once in their final 10, we're talking about a, a, an epic season, a top two or three finish, most likely, unless all of those results are draws. I, I think there are great things ahead for, for this team, but I think it'll be very tough to avoid losing a couple more times. And speaking of results, Will Reiners asks, how many away wins are necessary to secure a top four spot? So if we break that down and assume maybe a win and two draws over the three final home matches, five points there, you need five road points in the last seven road matches to get to a place where you can feel pretty good about a top four spot. If you go back five years, the average to, to stay in that top four is 51 points. So Nashville being at 41 now, 10 points over 10 matches, certainly a pacing they can feel confident about, especially if they can get those results at home, Tim. Yeah, I think if they can win all three remaining home games, which uh, you alluded to there, those are Orlando, which is a very good team, and Columbus and New York Red Bulls, which are not very good teams. Um, I think seven points has to be the minimum haul there to feel good going into the playoffs either way. I think if you get that sort of number, you don't need to secure a single away victory as long as you get a bunch of draws if you want a top four spot. Um, if you want to feel good about yourself going into the playoffs in the, in the bigger sense, uh, you don't want to lose to FC Cincinnati anywhere. Um, and I think take one of the next two. And as I just said in the previous section, I, I think it feels like NSC needs two wins for morale purposes coming off of that demoralizing TFC game. But but just looking at top four here, if you get 
two wins out of those three games. NSC it should be well on pace to finish top four because I do think they have the opportunity to either play for draws or, as I, as I just mentioned, play for wins because they already know they have a top four spot secured. I want to just give Chris Hole the floor for just a minute. One of our best question askers says, I'm consistently impressed by Alistair Johnston's maturity, healthy mix of humility and ambition, and willingness to share his experiences. True fan favorite, and he's referring to the interview we did with, with Nashville SC's right back last week, which I think he also told us at the time was right up there with the Mike Jacobs interview that we did uh, toward the mm-hmm. beginning of our tenure. Uh, yeah, I mean, Alistair's great. Yeah, I want to quote my good friend Valer Shabila. Check out Pharmaceutical Soccer Monday nights on 1025 The Game. Yep. Deep insight. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> He's often rendered speechless by Arsenal's poor performance. <laughs> uh, we'll take things outside in now. Uh, it's giving you a quick update on NSC's Lonies, three guys that we've not talked about here in just a little bit. Uh, we, I don't think we even mentioned at the time when Jose Donaciano was loaned out to OKC Energy, where he's just had one appearance, and that was in early August. 14 minutes for OKC. He's not played Tim in the last several matches. Yeah, and he hasn't been in the squad either, and it's uh, it's a little difficult to to uh, hope to get the, the correct information from USL teams about their injury reports. I believe he might be um, knocked up a little. or not. <laughs> <laughs> That would keep you out for at yeah. least nine months. Uh, I, I believe he might be banged up a little bit, but it's it's been hard for me to find out. As everyone knows, each week on ClubCountryUSA.com, I, I run through these guys a little bit, and it's been tough to figure out exactly what's going on with Kose. But I, I do imagine that he's uh, suffering from a, a minor injury. Hopefully, he'll be back in fewer than nine months. Um, <laughs> Elliot Panico is getting it done. Talk about uh, protection. Nine clean sheets in 21 games played in Austin. That's he's not gone 225 minutes, by the way, without conceding. And uh, and yet, while he's second in the league in clean sheets, he's 19th in the USL in saves. So clearly, he's got a defense uh, ahead of him that's doing its job and playing pretty well, including Nick Hines, who's also on loan from Nashville SC and playing in front of him, who has a goal and assist in 19 games played. He has sat for the last four matches, but uh, has been an integral part of that Austin team. As Nashville, Tim, I think, has to be really pleased with what they've gotten and just the playing time, just the reps that those guys have gotten in USL. Yeah, Panico, uh, is frustrates me week after week as I do the boys and not gold updates and he's never on the team of the week even though he has a clean sheet and uh, in a 1-0 victory for Austin Bold I'm like hey man the keeper's pretty important here and then I look and it's one save um, because that defense in front of him is, is playing really well um Hines is is banged up a little bit right now he's he has been out of the lineup before that he had been a pretty consistent every game starter and was going 90 minutes or picking up a yellow card early in the second half and being subbed out shortly thereafter but when when not facing the the specter of of discipline he had been playing pretty much every single minute for Austin Bolden that's something that obviously is going to make Nashville SC fans happy when he is back on the mend and and fully fit and again just to sum up the general premise behind loans especially as it relates to Nashville SC uh, when Mike Jacobs loans you out it's a sign of respect he Mm -hmm. wants to get you reps he wants to develop your game and it's likely that you're maybe third uh, on the bench in your position in Nashville and are not going to get those minutes. Uh, you saw Jack Mayer go to San Diego for just five matches, and maybe that was a transforming factor. Maybe he had already transformed mm-hmm. over the offseason. When he came back, he was much more confident. So I think reason to be optimistic, especially about these these latter two guys and, and the opportunities that they are, are getting while they're away from uh, from Music City. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Panico played well enough last year in training sessions that Nashville SC – ended up dealing their backup keeper, Adrian Zendejas, during the year 
this is not a guy that the staff thinks ill of. It's just they want him to get those game reps. And I think you could say the same thing maybe for Tor Saunders this year, who's currently practicing with Nashville SC, but might be getting those game reps elsewhere next year in order to get those game reps because he can't get them behind a guy who, unfortunately, for, for the backup goalkeepers, has not missed a minute of his Nashville SC time yet in Joe Willis. And, um, and you know, you mentioned Jack Mayer there, and I, I asked Mayer about it in a post-game press conference. I was saying, hey, what did you get out of that time in San Diego? Did it prepare you to play for Nashville SC? He was like getting 100 touches a game for San Diego Loyal, which he is not going to do for Nashville yeah. SC, even when he's in the starting lineup. And he said, yeah, that helped me develop as an on-ball player. And um, he's obviously still developing in some ways as a physical defender, but that was a part of his game that he really added on loan. And I think when you, if you were to ask Mike Jacobs, why did you send him to San Diego Loyal? It would be for that exact reason. He got the exact seasoning that Nashville SC was hoping that he would get during that stint. And it gives Nashville some flexibility. If they want to continue playing Alistair Johnson at that right center back spot, mm-hmm. they can do so. But if they need to move him out to right back, they have a couple guys in Anibaba and Mayer who can step in. And uh, certainly uh, they would love to be able to say a year from now, hey, when we needed Nick Hines, we knew we could rely on him because he had had those minutes and that confidence. Maybe they don't want to mm-hmm. need him. Maybe that's, but, but, but to have that depth is certainly something that, that they'll, they'll consider an asset. Moving to the final whistle content recommendations, I got one that that is uh, it's good. I don't I don't really want to shill for the team all that much and the content they create, although I think it's really good. Uh, but their latest installment of Dream Together is is about a friend of mine that's become a friend of many of yours, and that's Tony Husband, the Nashville TV play by play lead commentator who does a great job. We've had him on this show. It was one of our highest rated shows that we had. Uh, A lot of people very interested to hear what he has to say. And uh, this seven, eight minute installment of the Dream Together series talks a bit about his background, Uh, shows a a nice blackmail photo of him and and his youth kit way back in the day in South England, in the South of England and Devon. And uh, just, just good perspective from a guy who, you know, came across the pond and I think many wonder we hired a British guy is he going to be a know-it-all who says this is how the game should be he's been the opposite he's been extremely curious he's brought his experience he's combined it with a zest for Nashville culture and has uh, has done a lot I think to integrate himself into this place in the uh, just over a year and a half now that he's been here so it's great to to, to see that piece and uh, recommend that you guys check it out on Twitter yeah, it is. It's always funny to think about, oh, they hired this British guy. And if you're hiring a British guy who has always been in England, you couldn't find one who's more American than Tony in a lot of ways. A guy who's always loved NFL, a guy who's who's kind of had an affinity for American culture anyway. So that's always something that that is kind of it's kind of ironic that they hired a British guy who might be more American than a lot of the Americans they might have hired. Um, my, my content recommendation is one I, I alluded to above. Um, pharmaceutical soccer, my good friends, uh, Valer, Clay, Stephen, coming up on 100 episodes of their podcast wow, slash radio show on 1025 The Game. So um, check out pharmaceutical soccer. If you rate us five stars, you have to rate them maybe four and a half. You can round up to five <laughs> if you want on Apple Podcasts. I mean, it's not a zero sum game. I'm a, nice, a nice solid five stars. We encourage you guys. Yeah, rate, review, subscribe. Rate us first and then go rate. <laughs> I mean, Clay is just a fountain of knowledge about everything that is irrelevant in the world but also and some relevant things and believe some, it i was not. gonna say like, <laughs> yeah. well, let's see um valera is just a, a tremendous human being with with really good insight and steven is is right behind the goal as as the lead supporter every match getting people fired up and has um just they all have unique and tremendous perspectives on this club i will second that uh, that recommendation uh, wholeheartedly uh, and occasionally you get to you get to catch tim as a as a guest on that show as well so there you go Bold predictions for Miami. I'm going to say a red card. 
couple reasons for that. Number one, Miami earns red cards. Nico Figal <laughs> is going to be... Actually, Nico Figal would be the best chance to get a red card if he wasn't suspended for having gotten a red card. I think that like almost half counts as, as him getting a red card since he, there is a red card situation keeping him out of the game. It is a red card <laughs> impacted uh, situation yeah. for sure. The number two reason I, I got the, the, uh, the match info sheet today and the referee is none other than John Freeman. And I don't mean the play-by-play broadcaster. I mean the referee who has been red card happy, at least at the, USL level, you might recall, he gave a, a, a couple of yellows in the match to Forrest Lasso back in the day against New York Red Bulls 2 in USL play. The second yellow was controversial, to say the least. Uh, it's a guy who's not afraid to pull out the, the book, although we will say he's not given a red in his eight US in his eight MLS matches, but in USL, one every three and a half games. Pretty high frequency. You combine that with Miami, who's who has a penchant for red cards, no love lost between these two teams somebody's going to get a red and I'm saying two thirds likelihood. It's going to be the home team. Yeah. My bold prediction is, is kind of a, maybe a course correction or a course overcorrection from what we saw in Nashville SC do in Toronto. And, and that's, I think NSC is really going to sit back and make Miami prove that they can break down a compact defense and maybe play for the counter a little bit more than we saw NSC try in the last few games, because this team, I think, I think feels maybe a little bit embarrassed about the way that the first goal was scored. And they also understand that this Miami team does just does not have the ability to break down a settled defense, to break down a team that has the defensive principles that this Nashville SC team has. And they'll be throwing numbers forward to try and beat the boys in gold. And that's where Nashville has thrived in the, in the slightly more distant past, obviously with Hani Mukhtar, CJ Sapong, Daniel Rios and, and sometimes Randall Leal clicking on all cylinders. It's been a little bit more wide open attack. That's a way that this Nashville team has historically been comfortable scoring. And this is a, a Miami team that's going to have to throw numbers forward. And, and for that reason, could be particularly susceptible to getting hit on the counter. And then if you hit them on the counter once, you, you probably have a lot of opportunity to add more goals after that. Miami, Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. Then Chicago, going to be an early kickoff on mm-hmm. Sunday. What do these two matches mean for the trajectory of the rest of Nashville season? Yeah, they're going to be so important in terms of, like I said, maybe just kind of rebounding morale-wise from what we saw in Toronto. But I think if Nashville does the expected, which your your prediction of, of four points in terms of what is needed is probably a little bit more realistic in terms of what's expected. But if they get four or six points, this is a team that's going to be right back on track to to kind of grab hold of that second place in the Eastern Conference and not really give anybody openings to get back into it. Nashville SC looking to bounce back after a spell of inconsistency in Toronto. Noon Taxi is always consistently excellent. Thanks to them for the music, the beginning and the end of the show. Thanks to ESPN 94.9 for the highlights, 440 Sports Network for keeping our microphones on. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, and follow us both on Twitter. And until next week, later.